Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to Working Classics. I'm Jacob Brogan. This season, we're revisiting some of my favorite episodes from my time hosting the show. Uh, This is our last episode of this series of Working Classics, and it is probably my favorite episode that we did in my whole time on the show. Uh, This is our conversation with the drag queen, Ms. Cracker, who uh, is a regular Slate contributor, uh, a regular performer, and now is actually on RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, Ms. Cracker is uh, so funny, so smart, uh, and and so interesting on both the kind of practical realities of drag, what it takes to be a successful performer, um, but also the economic complexities of a profession that doesn't always reward people, even really talented people, uh, in the ways that you would expect it to. Enjoy. You're listening to Working, the podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan. This season on Working, we are, uh, in the parlance of our times, working it. What we're going to be doing is talking with individuals whose jobs touch on a variety of aspects of LGBTQ life. For our first episode, which you are listening to now, we sat down with Ms. Cracker, a profoundly delightful drag queen from New York City. Over the course of our conversation, Miss Cracker leads us through the process of creating her Space Princess-inspired outfits, talks about how she makes money, and discusses the influence of RuPaul's Drag Race on contemporary drag culture. She also talks about the structure of her performances and explains what happens when she walks through Manhattan in full drag. I love all of our guests, uh, but it's been a long time since I had this much fun talking to one. You are in for a treat. Then, in a Slate Plus Extra, Miss Cracker discusses some of her favorite songs to lip sync to. If you're a member, enjoy bonus segments and interview transcripts from working, plus other great podcast exclusives. What is your name and what do you do? My name is Miss Cracker. I am 33 years old and I am a drag queen in New York City, living in Harlem. You are here today in Slade's New York studio in full drag. It's gorgeous. It is the drag, I mean, and your office. Our office is okay. Yeah. The drag is fantastic. You're welcome. Uh, can you talk us through your look today just to give our listener a picture of, of you and, and how you are in this moment? Right now, I look like a delicious pistachio mm-hmm. uh, ice cream dessert. That um, isn't I got, insane, but somehow accurate. Yeah, right? There it is. It's like it's either either mint chocolate chip or a pistachio, but uh-huh. it's dessert either way. And uh, um, 
I have this girl that I work with in Jersey. Uh, her Instagram is Nails for Queens. Mm-hmm. And she sent me these gloves with these incredible rainbow gems all over them. And I saw them and I was like, I have to make an outfit inspired by this. So everything from head to toe is sort of inspired by these gloves that she made, which they're they're not gloves for radio. These are these are uh, definitely gloves for QVC. They're gorgeous. Yeah, they have uh, heavily bejeweled right. nails on them, I and mean, they they look like a supervillain's oh, gloves. Absolutely, Especially uh, like you could you could claw someone to death with them. Oh, they, would, they would probably break if you tried yeah. to do that. They don't. Oh, these are durable. All right, so you could nails claw for someone queen. To death. Your gloves are very durable. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, it's just it just when I see something like this, I'm inspired to respond to it and uh-huh. so that's sort of what so you've I, got is what i do this one garment this bejeweled set yeah. of long nailed gloves your, your uh your dress has uh a lot of stones on yeah it. it's covered with matching stones for all the queens out there these are all ab stones i'm covered in ab stones what are what are ab stones it just means when it's a crystal but it has that iridescent sheen okay. to it so that's what for all the kids at home, that's what she's wearing. She's wearing pistachio garment made out of neoprene, which is my favorite material because mm-hmm. it has this nice weight to it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, covered with AB stones from head to toe. You have these extremely blousy sleeves that yep. go just past the elbow. Yeah. Uh, it feels very royal to me. Uh, you, you've you got giant earrings on in the same uh, AB, stones, AB stone style. You're learning. Uh, I am learning. Be picking careful. Up, picking up the vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, that those earrings look like a madman's chandeliers. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and your wig, please describe to us. Uh, my wig is sort of a super white victory roll, mm-hmm. like uh, 1940s futurism thing. I'm very inspired by like Flash Gordon mm-hmm. and retro futurism in general. So whatever people in the like 30s through 40s imagined that the future would look like, that's your thing. I, no, that's my thing. I want them to picture me. Well, you look like you're ready to fight Ming the Merciless. Right. Or like Robot Hitler or something. Ro- Robot Hitler does not even stand a chance. You know, he doesn't. So, all right, let's, we've gone through your look and it's fantastic, but I also want to know about the job. Is this, is drag a full-time job for you? Is this what you yeah. do for a living? Drag is what I do more than full-time. Okay. I feel like I'm forever interning in drag because I'm doing so many unpaid hours. All right. Basically, what happens is um, I wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and I say, I can't believe I let last night happen. It was no good. Okay. We're starting from the ground up. I'm going to do a completely different thing today. I sit down at my sewing machine. I'm like, okay, I have two hours to sew this. I sew a brand new outfit. When you say last night was was not right, you mean the look that you had? Yeah, or? whenever whenever I go to bed, I'm always... Oh, there goes my earring. Oh, let's take these off. They're driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> For the listener at home. Chandelier earrings and, and Cracker's headphones. earring has just straight up fallen off. Shablam. They've been fired. <laughs> had to let them go. Um, but yeah, when I wake up in the morning, I'm always thinking about last night. And even if I went to bed feeling good, I always feel like it wasn't enough. Sure. So I sew a new outfit. I make a new wig. Um, and then I try to do something new with my makeup, use makeup I've never used before. Um, then I'll sit down with a number, the number I'm going to perform that night, listen to it on my headphones, go out completely exhausted from my day at this point i feel like i hate drag i don't want to do it anymore <laughs> and then i step into the bar and everyone's happy to see me and i'm like oh just kidding i love drag this is great what a great time i love gay people again 
and then run through my show, which we'll talk about. And at the end, I'm talking to my friend Caitlin. I'm like, what a great time we had. You know, I was so stressed out when we started, but now it's wonderful. And uh, watch some Will and Grace go to bed and do the whole thing, basically, the Wake next up day. the next yeah. day. Forever. Cycle yeah. of endless yeah. recurrence. Uh, how do you actually make money as a drag queen? You don't. Okay. You really shouldn't. And the thing <laughs> is, like, even if you are a queen that's been on Drag Race and you're making three to $6,000 mm-hmm. every time you walk on stage... The point of drag is to do too much. Okay. So however much money you're making, you spend more than that. Okay. And that's called drag. Yeah. So you'll see the girls that have been on RuPaul's Drag Race, when they're at the RuPaul's Drag Con, their booths that they're displaying their stuff at have cost them thousands of dollars. The great queens are losing their money Mm. on what they're doing because um, we live in a world where everything we do including play with purpose for preschoolers um, and sex for intimacy and other <laughs> absurd stuff like that. As adults, everything has this purpose tied to it, yeah. and drag doesn't. Yeah. It's unnecessary, so we do it to an unnecessary degree. So, no, you do not make money at drag if you're doing it right. It's uh, the excess yeah. that makes life worth living, maybe. Yes, Absolutely. This is your job, though. This is my job. Yeah. This so is your job is to lose money. It's, yeah. It's, my job is to lose money. They give right. me a lot of money, and I lose all of it. That do, does the money come in tips? Do you get paid by the gig? Yeah, you get. It depends. Um, it really depends. But for most working queens, you get paid a certain very low amount uh, per gig, and then you try to double or triple that with tips from the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you hope you have a good crowd that night. You hope that they're generous. Um, and then you'll do side gigs. You'll do charity stuff. You'll do, you'll literally do bat mitzvahs. I have done that. <laughs> sounds um, like a, a drag bat mitzvah. Sounds like a, or bar mitzvah or any kind of mitzvah. Yeah. Sounds like a, a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. Yeah. It's a good thing. Um, so yeah, I've done all of that. You do whatever you can. Whenever you have an opportunity to do drag, you do it and you hope to get some coins out of it. How did you get started? I didn't want to do drag at all. I never wanted to do drag. I didn't wear my mama's heels. I didn't uh, dress up like a lady for Halloween except one time, and that was Winehouse, and she's barely a lady. Um, But I started because a friend basically forced me into it. Mm. And then the moment that I saw myself in drag, I was like, this is what I want to do. How old were you? I was, I don't know, I'm 33 now. It was seven years ago. I can't do math. I'm only half Jewish. 26. I was 26 years old. That sounds right. Yeah, so I was was talked into it. I was basically worn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's the full thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long did it take you, though, to make a career out of it, to get from that first experience? Five years. Yeah. Five years. Uh, for about two years, I was doing absolutely nothing except wandering around in drag. Mm-hmm. And then for, let's say... Three years after that, I had one gig a week uptown on 109th Street at Sweet Bar near Columbia University, um, where I learned everything I needed to know in order to be a performer. And then finally, five years in, I started uh, getting enough gigs that I could quit my job as a fundraiser. Your, your persona, the Ms. Cracker persona, is yeah. clearly part of who you are as a drag queen. Right. Is that something that you developed over the course of the last seven years, or was that there for you... The moment that you 
got into drag for the first time. Well, you know how you are when you're out with your friends having a really good time insulting mm-hmm. someone that you all dislike? A hundred percent. That is what it's like to be in drag. It's yeah. not somebody else. It's just you in a particular mood. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? When you are out with your friends, you can be absolutely free because you are all mm-hmm. agree and you're all talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. And when you're in drag, um, you are like that with every gay person in the room. Sure. You know, you all know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. the drag queen. And you're all in the same mood because the drag queen is creating that mood. Mm. So someone pointed out the other day that when I'm on the mic, I don't change my voice at all. Mm. And some queens do, but I I don't change at all for drag. This is my voice. Mm. Um, This is how I act. This is my scatterbrain behavior. It's all me. The only difference is that I'm having a good time because I look amazing. And you do. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. it's appropriate. Is this may be an ignorant question then, but I love ignorant questions. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll I'll do my best to make it yeah. mid level ignorant. What is it like? A well informed question sounds like it's already been answered. That's so a good point. Ask an ignorant question. All right, here's my ignorant question: Is there a difference between you, mm. whatever that Quality means, and whatever you're going to mention, now. and Miss Cracker? A difference between me and Miss Cracker? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm wearing. A visual art piece right now yeah. like i've made all of this so you know you change a little bit when you're when you're wearing art and as a boy i have one pair of jeans one pair of khakis two button-down shirts and a button-down t-shirt mm. and that's it so visually uh my boy self is not an experience and i sort of hold myself in a different way because I am very happy being invisible as a boy. Mm. Whereas I want to be very visible as Miss Cracker and as clear. Mm. Uh, when do you become the character? When do you become Miss Cracker? The character is the wrong word maybe. But yeah, when, when do you do take I, on that? When do I get into that mood? That mood. Everyone has the, has a different moment and it develops slowly while you're putting on your makeup. But mm. for me is when I put on all five of these lashes. Okay. You know, it's you, sort oh of, my God, you do have a lot of lashes on. You're welcome again. Uh, it, you. it just It changes the proportions of your face in a different way mm-hmm. um, because everything else is two-dimensional paint mm-hmm. and uh, lashes are a 3D addition. So you mm-hmm. suddenly become this different object and sure. that is when the, the big change happens for everyone. You doubt yourself, you doubt yourself, you're not sure if you look and you put on the lashes like, oh my gosh, she's a woman, here she <laughs> is. Uh, and that's when you like, if you have a cold... Or if you've been broken up with or you're broke yet again, all of that stuff slides away mm. because the person that's broke is the guy. Mm. And now you're a wealthy woman. So Indeed. Yeah. Do you travel to and from gigs in, Absolutely. in drag? A lot of people don't and I don't get it because, you know, I work all day long on this mess. Mm-hmm. And when you go to a show, it's about a two hour process. And only what, like 100, 200 people are going to see you if you are so lucky. Mm. Um, So I like to take the train and walk the street because I want as many people to see this as possible to make it worth it. I'm not, like I said, I'm not making money. Yeah. This experience that we have together when, when you are in the same room with a drag queen, that's what I want people to have. It makes you feel a certain type of way and that makes me happy. I can't do drag by myself. Mm. I need you. It's like if a queen falls in the forest. Yeah. Is she fabulous? No. 
If a queen death drops in the forest, it's <laughs> fabulous. No, it's not. It needs an audience. What kind of reactions do you get when you're traveling to and from? You live in New York. I mean, yeah. are you taking the subway, I guess? I live uh, in Harlem You live in Harlem. So it's like the best or the worst reactions. Usually women and men by themselves are like, oh, you look beautiful. You look gorgeous tonight. Mm. Um, and then if a man is with his straight friends or with his girlfriend, he'll be like, what the fuck? I always say you can call me what they call me in Harlem, which is the fuck. That's what they call me. I'm like, oh, that's my name. I answer to that. Yeah. Um, and this, that shit's fucked up, man. Or That's a man. I'm like, yes, it is. Um, and I enjoy both. Like, yeah. I enjoy both reactions. I'm like that kid in the back row of the classroom. If it's positive or negative attention, I'll take it. I just want the attention. Fair enough. But yeah. does it ever feel unsafe absolutely we live in still a very homophobic world yeah i like my career like i like my sex completely unsafe and i just when i walk out on the street first of all it's enjoyable to take that risk some people bungee jump Mm -hmm. and i go to work um i like that thrill on one level but on a deeper level my family is a very peculiar family um, we were Jewish in a very Christian area. And so we sort of had this option. We could hide who we were all the time and get ragged on. Or we could just celebrate who we were and be really strange and be really Jewy mm-hmm. um, and get ragged on. And so we just chose the second one because we were going to get ragged on either way. Yeah, And I told myself at one point I was never going to avoid anything because of fear. I could avoid it because it was stupid. I could avoid it because it wasn't me. I could avoid it because it wasn't going to be enjoyable. But fear was never going to be a factor. Hashtag fear factor. <laughs> so I, I was like, yeah, I'm afraid when I leave the house. But God damn it, I am not going to let, uh, not even homophobia. I'm not going to let other people's concerns about themselves affect what I do. Because a very confident straight man is never upset to see me. It is a down low gentleman that is upset. Mm. One time I was walking by this guy's porch and he almost fell off <laughs> screaming faggot at me. I was like, your day is bad, not mine. Yeah. So, I mean, it took a while for me to learn that, mm. but I'm there now. Like, really, I really just enjoy the reactions. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Let's talk about process. Yes. What? It seems like the makeup, the whole face is a huge part of Mm. uh, what it means to become Ms. Cracker. Right. Um, What does that entail? Let me ask a dumb question. Right. How long does it take to look as good as you do right now? Oh, it, it used to take me three hours. Now it takes me an hour and a half, God damn it. That's a long time. Yeah, it used to be... like, And some queens take a long time, but I, like, 
from sitting down at my vanity, which is a pile of furniture that I've pulled out of the garbage over several years, um, sitting down at my vanity to walking out the door, it can be like two hours. Mm-hmm. Sit down, paint my face in 45 minutes, put my wig on, strap my genitals to my back, um, and then throw on you know all this padding and cinchers and tights that I'm wearing right now. Um, so it can be like, like a two-hour process if I'm just jumping up and going. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's super involved. I The only thing I want to to put in here is that there was a drag competition um, at Barracuda Lounge in Chelsea a couple years ago, and they were short one girl. They needed seven girls or something. And they were like, we need one more person. And they pulled this girl up from the audience, uh, a drag queen that was not in drag. And she put a scarf on her head and did a number just as a boy with a scarf on her head for hair mm-hmm. and won. Yeah. So this is all important and it's all part of the art of drag, but it's like one of the three legs of the stool. Sure. And you can do away with the other two parts if you do the performance super well. Yeah. So this is a luxury and this is great and I'm glad I can do it, but it's not necessary. W- one thing I'm wondering just about the practice of putting makeup on, and I asked this as someone who has never applied much makeup in his life. Right. Uh, but do you have to think big when you're doing drag makeup? If you're performing for an audience yeah. of of 200, uh, I would guess, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong, that, that the kind of makeup that you're doing with the expectation of lights of various yeah. kinds and, and uh, an audience that may be sitting way back in the dark, that that kind of makeup looks really different than the makeup you might do just to sit across the table from someone at dinner or something like that. Right. I mean, you kind of split the difference because it happens both ways, right? You're on the stage and people see you that way. But you're also out in the crowd. But you're also out in the crowd. And yeah. And if you're lucky, it's dark in the bar. So. <laughs> no, but like you, you, you do keep that in mind. But, you know, there are as many different kinds of makeup as there are drag queens. And people do it all different kinds of ways. Yeah. Like there's Trixie Mattel, who's a, a living nightmare up close <laughs> because she her her contours are so hard. Her contours are harder than my childhood, oh. um, which is pretty hard. Oh. Um. But she is like it's a beautiful art piece, mm-hmm. you know. It's like a Franz Klein. Um, but and then there's Miss Fame who paints like just so soft, so beautiful, mm-hmm. so feminine, and uh, it takes you a minute to be like, oh, I guess that's a drag queen. But all you see is a model. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can do it either way. But it sounds like then uh, that's a great kind of case study and in, in pair of case studies in, in the importance of of makeup though, because it sounds like the style of applying makeup is part of what yeah. a person's drag persona might entail. And it's like the story of who you are as a drag queen is in your makeup because you learn from different queens. They affect you. And then you can look at someone's face and point at the different queens that are in there. You can tell the story of who they've met and who they've known, who they've been influenced by and inspired by. You're like, I know that YouTube video or I was there that night too. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, I remember. Yeah, I was doing drag at the time. People were doing that with their lashes as well. So there's a story in the face. Mm. Um, you can tell a queen's where she's from by what her is, face. What story does your face tell us? Uh, I'm I'm a huge uh, like con- conglomeration of influences. Miss Fame inspired me. That's where I get my cut crease from. That's this line here above my eyelid. Mm. Um, uh, Bob the drag queen inspired me, which is why I haven't set my powder properly. Um, I've been inspired by Trixie Mattel, which is why I have these super harsh, uh, contours here under my cheeks. And, uh, I get, um, 
some of my, my nose contour and my uh, wings from a drag queen called Aquaria, who's a Brooklyn queen. Um, but, you know, these these are all sort of mixed together and then I make them my own. Mm-hmm. And But you can see who I know and who I love. And uh, my Alexis Michelle uh, taught me how to raise my eyelashes so that they pull up on the sides and give me an almond eye instead of drooping down on the corners. They like, look like an elegant bird's wings. Exactly. Yeah, they should, they should look like they're taking flight, not like they're desperately trying to stop from <laughs> landing too hard, which is what I had before. Um, but yeah, so the, the story of my face is the story of the queens in the city, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what, part of what you're saying there is striking in part because it speaks to forms of community and communal education mm-hmm. that, that seem like they're an important right. part of, yes. of drag more generally. Drag lore. Yeah. That's what it is. Bob the Drag Queen always says that there's no there's college for clowns, mm-hmm. but there's no college for queens. Mm. There's a college for almost everything else, but there's no school for queens. So the only school is experience and the only teachers are other queens. Yeah. So that's why like these sort of lines of influence are so important because mm-hmm. it's not just about influence for an art, it's the story of gay people. Yeah. Does that sense of uh, history and community play out in the way that you develop your outfits or as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like there's, you can look at a dress in a store and be like, a drag queen wore this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's a certain aesthetic, over sparkly, overly bright, big, all the areas that women don't want to accentuate, mm-hmm. the hips and the tits, you know, we go overboard with things that women want to hide um, generally or are supposed to want to hide. So, yeah, there's, a, there's a, a sort of taste that develops in regions of drag. Mm-hmm. You can tell a Southern queen um, she's going to wear a form-fitting gown. You can tell a New York queen she's going to wear literally whatever is at Rainbow on clearance. Um, you can tell a San Francisco queen. I mean, you can. I can't. I've never seen one. I, I don't know that I could, but I believe you that someone might be able to. <laughs> uh, all right, but where does, at, at a practical level for you, where are your outfits coming from? You, it's, From what you were saying before, it sounds like part of your day is spent making, shaping, crafting right. the outfit. But does, you're not like stitching a dress from the ground up, are Absolutely. You? you are. I have a bunch of bolts of fabric in my Holy apartment shit. and I sit down at the sewing machine. <laughs> Please don't swear. There's a woman here. I'm so sorry. Not in this room, but uh, over there. Um yeah, I I am full of images from films like Metropolis and uh, again from Flash Gordon and from the comic books that I read as a kid and it all sort of sits in my head mm-hmm. um, and then these outfits come out of that sort of trove. I am aware of the runways as far as uh, fashion goes a little bit because sometimes mm-hmm. it'll come up on other people's Facebook uh timelines but i really from my imagination that's where i make all of this stuff and i just sit i like i made this in two hours i mm-hmm. sat down i cut it all out sewed it together put it on i was like great it fits uh then my friend and handler caitlin and i sat down with some super glue uh-huh. and put these stones on and then while it was drying you know we went out and did a show that's so you made this yesterday yeah that is unbelievable. I woke up and, and I was like, I hate my life. And I anger made this. And then we stoned it. And then off we went. That's 
So that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and you do that every day? I do that every day, unless I'm like completely over it and then I'll wear something that I've worn before. Uh-huh. But I, the, I, the, when I go to bed, I'm always like, I'm not making something tomorrow. <laughs> I'm spending some time for me. Yeah. And then I wake up and I say, well, I'm going to do one small thing. And then I make an entire new outfit and then off we go. How did you learn to do that? Uh, again, from various drag queens, uh, I took lessons from uh, a young queen, Clarice Dubois, and then uh, uh, more experienced, we'll call her an older queen, uh, Jasmine Rice. And they gave me the basics, and then I sort of got a feel for the materials and wanted to experiment. And then through experimentation, here we are today. Um, do you ever make outfits for for other queens, for other no. people? I used to make uh, wigs for other queens mm-hmm. um, because not many queens can style hair. But it was such a nightmare because every queen has a specific vision for how they want to look and mm. your vision for the hair will never be the same as theirs. And I got so tired of moving bangs to the left a couple centimeters sure. overnight for somebody. And so unless it's a queen that I absolutely love, mm-hmm. I won't do it anymore, even for hair. And for outfits, absolutely not, never. Mm-hmm. I just like, I love wearing what I make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I wouldn't, there's no money that could pay me to make something for someone else. It seems like that's at least partially because what you make is a self expression. Yeah. It's part of what yeah. working as Ms. Cracker right. involves. It's not just yeah. about the show. It's, it's also about producing this look that is your look that is you. Right. It's like I have a bank of images in my head yeah. and I'm manifesting them all the time mm-hmm. with makeup and hair and stuff that I find on the street becomes part of my imagination then it then it becomes part of an outfit so it really is this sort of uh just is it chimera is that what is uh this from my imagination this mm-hmm. beast comes forth and so mm-hmm. like to see it on someone else unless I like that person it's not fun mm-hmm. if I love somebody and I put them in one of my wigs I I like I we have this moment together where my imagination is on them and that's great. Mm -hmm. And there's an intimacy in that, but money is not going to build that relationship. It has to be a genuine, authentic relationship. What is, what does wig making involve? Uh, so, you know, when you go to, uh, you've seen a wig on the rack, it's just Mm -hmm. a wig, it's straight hair. Right. And there's a little, it's like a hat with hair glued to it. Mm -hmm. And then, Wig making is the process of going from that very flat thing to this, mm-hmm. you know. And by um, this, you mean this incredibly structured right. series of, hev- I don't even know, I don't know yeah. enough hair terms, but these heavily curled. Yeah, these are uh, called swoops. victory rolls. These victory rolls. I, I wrote I wrote uh, the idea down. I was like, white victory rolls. And, and then I looked at it. I was like, white victory rolls. It just sounds very KKK to yeah. me. I was like, I'm going to change that. I was like, white hair. <laughs> comma, victory rolls. Um, but yeah, so it's like you do what you have to to torment this hair uh, to make it behave how you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's taking a very nice, very clean, uh, straight, soft wig and grinding it with a comb until the finish is off of it and then it sort of behaves how you want. You're like breaking this hair. And that's another big part of drag is destroying things yeah like i have definitely destroyed my scrotum fair yeah tell um us, like us. it used to hurt 
to tuck because I have to tape my scrotum to my back, uh-huh. essentially. And then one day there was this horrible tearing sound. And after that, it didn't hurt anymore. So I don't know what that was, what fascia that was, but it's gone now. And now I'm a drag queen. For the listener at home, my mouth is literally hanging open. To the oh, yeah. Mine was as well. It was horrible. One time I, I, I used duct tape to tape everything back. And one time I pulled <laughs> off a dime-sized piece of skin from uh-huh. my, my scrotum. Uh, ladies, scrotum is where I keep my testes. <laughs> um, I, I actually keep mine there too. Not. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. It's a That's so great. Yeah. Um. So I had meant to ask about this earlier, but mm. uh, we've come to it. I'll ask about it now. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Tell I'm us more about. Tell us more about taping. Oh, tell oh, us. There, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Hello. <laughs> tell you more about um, taping. Everyone. Everyone does it a different way. Some people just take a uh, jock strap or another pair of underwear and they pull up really tight to mm-hmm. sort of flatten everything mm-hmm. so they'll just put you just their, tuck it in there um sort of like uh uh what is it called silence wait silence of the lamb style mm-hmm. sort of tuck their genitals back between yeah. their legs and then pull the underwear up to hold everything in place mm-hmm. and that works for some people i have enormous testicles okay fair um so where most queens can sort of take their testes and put them back up into the canal from whence they came, mm-hmm. I cannot do that. They won't fit. Yep. It's like trying to put a bowling ball through a hose. So yep. what I do is I just take heavy-duty duct tape and smash them mm-hmm. um, until it has like a labia look. Um, and then I put my padding and my tights on over that. Do you wear like compression underwear or anything like this to help? With yeah, that? I'm wearing I'm wearing Spanx right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But that... that the duct tape does the job, and then I just the tights are really about compressing and smoothing all the padding that I'm wearing. Gotcha. So, but yeah, I'll just it it looks it looks like a jock strap made out of duct tape essentially, and it is a nightmare. If I'm not careful, I can pull off hunks of my skin, and um, there's like weeping sores, um, which is my new band. No, uh, <laughs> uh, it it can be really ugly. You have to do I have to do it really carefully, but some queens have an easier time of it. Yeah. Uh, talk us through a performance. Once you've done all of this work, you've yeah. built an outfit, you've yeah. uh, you've made your wig, you've got some beautiful gloves on, yeah, you've got your makeup on, right? You've got your enormous testicles, right, tucked up as far as you can get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're going to put on a show, right? So now you've clamped off your genitals and your anus, and you're oh. experiencing toxic shock. Adrenaline is rushing through your body, and mm-hmm. you're ready to do a show. Mm-hmm. Um, so a show is essentially, uh, it's like, there's a very set format in New York City. You walk into the bar. You put your hand on every single person that's there. You're like, there's going to be a show. And they're like, oh, work, girl, I'll be here. They never are. They always leave. Mm. Um, and then so this is bef- well before it gets started? Yeah. So you're like okay. there, like ideally you're there half an hour before the show. You say hello to the DJ. He's going to be the one that runs the lights and the music. You make sure that he thinks you like him still. Um, and you sort of wander around the audience and try to break the barrier between you guys mm-hmm. um, because you're going to insult them later. <laughs> so you want them to know that you're actually nice. Is is insult humor like a New York thing specifically? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because we have so much vehemence to burn off. Mm-hmm. We, we need that as New yeah. Yorkers. We just we just fought a pregnant old woman uh, in a wheelchair <laughs> for a seat on the subway, and we need to burn off the hate that's building up uh, that we have for ourselves. So it's like um, you wander around, you talk to everybody, 
you get drinks for the people that have friends. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see someone that's sort of a ringleader of a group, you get them drinks so they keep themselves and their circle of friends there. Um, then whatever hour it is, it's showtime. You get out there. Everyone's drunk. Uh-huh. Um, you say, hey, I'm Miss Cracker. This is the name of the bar. This is the day of the week. This is the name of the show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a show. You do a couple dance numbers. And are you all by yourself? Is this, you're the only queen I mean, on stage? ideally, but okay. no. Sometimes I uh, have a co-hostess, mm-hmm. and that can be the biggest blessing in the world, or it can be an actual nightmare, mm-hmm. depending on who you're co-hosting with. Um, maybe you guys have really great chemistry, and everyone just wants to hang out with you guys. Uh, maybe you have, maybe you hate each other, and everyone likes to watch that. Mm. Um, so, uh, you just do a show together. You each do a number, then you pull someone up on stage, ask them a bunch of questions, insult their outfit, starting with their shoes. Usually, <laughs> you guess where they're from, which there's only f- like there's fifty different types of Americans, one for each state. You can usually tell right away where they're from. You're like Ohio, right? Okay, no, I'm not psychic. It's just you're wearing acid wash jeans still, and it's 2017. Um, I and feel for Ohio. Yeah, I feel for them too, um, but I don't feel them. Uh, so no you. Then you do that little, like that little game with the audience members. Then you just do the whole thing again. You do a couple numbers each, um, and then kiss the audience goodbye. And you mill around with them just like you did. It's, it's very palindromic. Mm-hmm. You start with mixing. You do a couple numbers. Game, numbers, mixing, go home. Oh. All, all told, it should be about two and a half hours. That's a long time. Yeah, like... especially well, because you're you've not been performing for ready all of it, since but noon. Yeah. 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 But you're perform you're performing pretty heavily throughout. Yeah. And if you're not performing doing a dance number, you're doing stand up comedy. Uh huh. Yeah. With someone else's jokes or your own, depending on which queen you are. <laughs> it, what about you? I I am a joke originator. Mm-hmm. Um, I create jokes for the drag queen community. I'm a stand up comic. Um, so you know, I talk about my my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's objectively funny. <laughs> um, but it, it's not that hard to do uh, stand-up in drag, and I, I wish that a lot of queens knew that because the premise of every... Like, the context for every sentence is funny. It doesn't matter what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I keep saying, I'm just having a little coffee. And it's funny because I'm a dude in a dress. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The more mundane what I say mm-hmm. is, the better it is because I'm a dude in a dress while I'm saying it. Right. You know, you have those juxtapositions that are central to most humor built in. Right. Yeah. And it comes from the, the great old drag queens that first, uh, brought drag into the public eye. Is that always that wink? Like I'm a woman. Just kidding. I'm not a woman at all. Ding. Like mm. that people respond to it. Um, cause it's, it's easy. It's visual. And, uh, yeah, all you have to do is tell gay people where they are and what's going on, and it's funny. <laughs> You're like, you guys are gay. And it's funny because um, most people aren't. <laughs> so it's just like, they're like, oh, my God, I am. I've been waiting all day to say that I'm gay, but I was at my office. And now someone's saying it, and I'm happy about it. So some of the joy is just about being in that situation and calling attention to the Right. situation is of the situation right exactly and because you know part of being gay in this generation is pretending mm-hmm. you have two choices you can either pretend that you are not gay while you're at the office so that other people in the office are comfortable or you can pretend 
that you don't care what other people think about you being gay. And either way, it is like the biggest spa day to go to a gay bar where you can be what you are without the veneer of pretending on top of it, without multitasking. And in a big way, that's being eroded because as shows like Drag Race um, sort of help erode the barrier between gay bars and the rest of the world, more and more straight people are coming into gay bars and we're losing those spaces to be ourself Mm -hmm. in a time where it's still hard to be ourself. Now, ultimately, I hope that the identity of gay, lesbian, straight, blah, 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 all of it will get muddled together and mashed up and we won't have to worry about those identities anymore. Um, But that's not how it is right now. So for right now, we still need those little spaces um, where I can do this and people know what I mean. And I don't have to sit down and explain to someone like, no, I'm not, I'm not Caitlyn Jenner. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to explain that at the beginning of every show. Yeah. And doing shows in gay bars allows me to avoid that. Yeah. Your job is not education in that way. But yeah. You've I mean, also written about these issues for Slate. Uh, right. People can find your stuff. Yeah. At, uh, if they, they search for Ms. Cracker uh, on Slate. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I do want to say is that I am, there is that phrase like, it's not my burden to educate you. Yeah. I'm not all on board with that sentiment mm. because we are all born with uh, challenges. And one of my challenges is that I am different and that people are going to respond to that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to walk around telling people like, let me do exactly what I want and don't, don't ask any questions. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. I am burdened with who I am. And I do have a certain burden to uh, reach out to people and to let them know who I am and see the person in here. Mm. Like I, I do accept that burden. Um, but do I get tired of it sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. So is yeah. it part of the job? Do you think though? Yeah. Drag Queens are ambassadors because you know, it's not always visible when you're gay, mm-hmm. but it's very visible when you're a drag queen. So as a visible member of the gay community, I think that we don't have a responsibility because drag comes with no responsibilities. We do have an opportunity um, to speak for gays because mm-hmm. we are clearly gay, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We've lost a little bit of the thread because, yeah. in a good way. Because I, I, I'm because, like giving you my... Uh, no, I love it. Um, drag Fuhrer speech. No, it, it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> drag Fuhrer. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, Zeke Heil, guys. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. um, it's okay. I'm Jewish. I, if you don't laugh, then you're anti-Semitic. No, I'm just kidding. It's true. How do you book a show in the first place? Do you do, you do that work yourself? Or are, you, are you your own manager? Um. Well, when you're starting out in drag, there's competitions for drag all over the city. You mm-hmm. show up with a bunch of girls. Mm-hmm. You sign up. And you compete. And if you do that well then other queens book you as a guest for their shows. Okay. And you kind of spread like a disease. Mm-hmm. 
um, after that. That's what I did. Um, I know that Bob the Drag Queen and Frosty Flakes, when they were first starting out, they went from gay bar to gay bar being like, listen, we're going to do a show. May as well be at your place. Mm. Um, and that's how they, and that's another way to do it too. I'm lazy, so <laughs> I just let it happen naturally. Um, yeah, and so there's a lot of different ways to go about it. But, you know, just like any freelance job, it's a lot of pushing yourself yeah. and other people yeah, to their limit. How many shows do you try to do a week? Um, there's this sort of like sweet spot, like four to five shows a week is perfect. Mm-hmm. Any more than that and... The amount of work that you're doing to prep for each show prevents you from doing your laundry, so you have to pay someone to do your laundry. Prevents you from cooking for yourself, so you have to eat out. Prevents you from taking the slow train, so you take a cab. And all those expenses add up and start deleting your Mm -hmm. income. So any more than five shows, you start actually losing money. Mm -hmm. Um, So four to five shows a week is great. Are you usually in that sweet spot? I Yeah, I try to stay in that sweet spot. For the last couple of weeks, I have not been. I was like, yes, 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 yes to everybody because like more is better. And I just like looking at my little uh, bank account and I'm like, okay, this is, I forgot that this is actually deleterious. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I got to back off. Yeah. You know. Um, how much of your time do you spend hustling for the, the shows and such? I've I, I worked it out. It's about... Uh, Every shift is about eight to 10 hours of work. Mm-hmm. So including the three hours that you're there and the sewing and the makeup and the commute all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in that time, you're answering text messages and bothering people and trying to look up for what's ahead this month. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like you hustle constantly. You can wake up in the middle of the night to, or in the middle of the morning in my case, <laughs> to a text message that's like, hey girl, do you want to, I'm like, yes, I do, when, where, okay. So, um, you're, you're, you're never not hustling. Yeah. Every day I'm hustling. Do you ever though get nervous about saying no? I mean, I, I, a mm. lot of my work is also freelance to. and I, yeah. I can confess that I like live in fear of saying no to someone when right. they, when they are, cause you worry that that person is never going to ask you again. Right. Uh, the work is going to go away. I mean, um, I've been working consistently for two years now and uh, the work has always come. And so I just go out on faith. Hmm. I do what I can and I don't do what I can't do. And I don't worry about uh, the consequences. If I can do something, I do it. And if I feel like I can't give them 100%, I'm going to show up tired, then I won't. And I let the consequences be what they may. Um, I grew up s- super poor, mm-hmm. so I'm not afraid of being poor. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of being hungry. Those aren't things that that bother me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Do you? We talked a little bit about the way that you learned from other drag queens as you were coming up. Yeah. Do you have ongoing professional relationships with other queens? I mean, I wouldn't say ongoing. I have various mm-hmm. and uh, truncated relationships with other queens. You know, like my close relationship right now is with Monet Exchange. On uh, we have a show on Sundays at Hardware and Hell's Kitchen, and we've been doing the show for two years, and we've learned to trust each other, and we spend time in drag together and try to do things outside of drag if we're ever out of drag. But that relationship is important because. She's an incredible performer. She's a great makeup artist. 
She's funny and wonderful and sweet. She has a better disposition than I do. <laughs> um, so watching her be so great pushes me to be great too. And I hope it works the other way as well. So that's the kind of relationship that's important to me. Yeah. Um, working side by side. She does a great number right before me. And I'm like, well, I better fuck it up when I go on stage. I better do it. Because um, I'm not going to be the shabby queen here. And that is incredible. Yeah. That's a creative partnership, which I prize above friendship. Because yeah. friendship, friendships can come and go without leaving a single mark on your life, except for in your bank account because you paid for all those brunches. <laughs> but a creative partnership stays with you forever. It becomes part of your creative DNA. Yeah. So I value those. Do you ever put other people into drag in the way that you were once put into drag? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I do. Yeah. I love putting people in drag because that moment that I talked to you about where you put the lashes on, you're uh -huh. like, oh my God. You put someone in makeup. I've put straight men in makeup before and they turn around and they see a new person and there's nothing that men love more than newness, <laughs> if you take my meaning. So <laughs> they see someone else and they just feel transformed yeah and i love that yeah. so yeah i do it all the time a lot of people who know about drag today and, and you alluded to this earlier know about it primarily through the lens of rupaul's drag race right reality competition show does that show play any kind of role in your professional life apart from its effects on the audience of drag more generally yeah i mean Drag was sort of this primordial suit mm -hmm. before. There were like surges and changes and flows within it, but they were not, uh, they didn't have a direction. Mm -hmm. um, uh, drag race sort of became this endpoint. Mm -hmm. It made it a linear process where you started at the bottom and ideally you end at drag race. Right. And then it, when you have an endpoint, you have a hierarchy because you have who's there mm -hmm. and who's definitely not there yet. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of the difference between like a old country schoolhouse where all the kids are in the same classroom and uh, the teacher is teaching all grades at the same time. That's how it was before. Mm -hmm. Now it's a it's the a different education system. There are juniors, there's seniors, there's kindergartners. It sort of lined everything up so everyone could see where they were mm. in the hierarchy. And is that a good thing? Absolutely, because it gives people something to push towards. Mm. Um, is it a difficult thing? Yeah, because, you know, sometimes people don't necessarily fit into the grade they're told to be in. Mm. Um, and it sort of regiments something that was sort of free in a way. So it's been an incredible influence. And I think the only thing you can say is it's been an undeniable experience. There's been good and, and bad um, in the change. Uh, but whatever you think about it, it's here. Mm -hmm. And it has definitely changed everything. So you better like it um, because it's created a new world. And I mean, for me, it's created a wonderful world because it's pushing people to be great and that's pushed me to be great. So, you know, that's, that's, that's what it is. That's all I can say. Yeah. So tell me this, what's most rewarding about doing this? What keeps you getting up every day after hating it at night to do it each morning or probably maybe early afternoon again? 
Um, drag affects people. If you're on the train with commuters, you see people taking pictures and looking up and smiling. Yeah. And at the end of a good show, you can have the audience on their feet. Mm-hmm. And as someone who used to be in a lot of trouble personally and found a refuge at drag shows where for an hour and a half you forget all of the really terrible things that can happen to you, specifically to a gay person, mm-hmm. um, because we do live in our own world with our own problems. Uh, I just, that's what's rewarding about drag, is creating something beautiful in a world that is always coming apart, you know? Mm-hmm. So... What happens to a person when the most beautiful part about them, the people that they love, the way that they love, is called ugly? What kind of person results from growing up under that condition? A gay person. Whoever you are dating as a gay man is a man who was told that the best part about him was the worst part about him. That we, my generation and generations after me still and behind me will never heal from that way of growing up. But for an hour and a half at a goddamn drag show, we forget that. And being the way we are is fantastic. And RuPaul's Drag Race showed us it's so fantastic that it can be on motherfucking television, which is the <laughs> highest honor in America. Or it can be in a bar here in New York City. Where can people find more about you and where to find you? They can find me at uh, mizcracker.com, M-I-Z-Cracker.com. It has my full schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm at Barracuda Lounge in Chelsea on Tuesdays, the Ritz and Hell's Kitchen on Wednesdays, Sweet Bar Uptown on Fridays, The Ride with Brandon Voss on Saturdays and Sundays at Hardware for Turn It On with Monet Exchange. That sounds delightful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank We're you. So delighted to have you on. I had a great time. I love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and we love talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Slate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. If you're into what we're doing with this series, you might also want to check out the Double X Gab Fest, on which Miss Cracker has actually been a guest in the past, I think. The Double X Gab Fest is a bi-weekly podcast about feminism, gender, sexuality, health, politics, Beyonce, and other issues of interest to women and their friends. It's hosted by NPR co-host Hannah Rosen, New York Magazine's Noreen Malone, and managing producer of Slate Podcasts, June Thomas. June is one of my favorite people in the whole world, so if you don't listen to her all the time, you are making a huge mistake. Every other Thursday, get a heaping helping of feminist discourse about news and culture in your podcast feed in the Double X Gab Fest. Uh, back here at Working, uh, we always welcome your thoughts. You can email us via working at slate.com. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, you can listen to past episodes at slate.com slash working if you want to catch up. This episode was produced and edited by Benjamin Frisch. Holy. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.